Hi, everybody. I'm Jeremy Mohovlich, and this is Ron Cortez, and you're listening to Motorphiliacs TV, the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about two topics, and we'll start out addressing the topic of insanely expensive used cars. And once we've exhausted that topic, then we'll spend a little bit of time talking about uh, some motorsport happenings in the off-road realm. So to get things started, we're going to kick it over to Ron Cortez, and uh, he's going to get us uh, going on our first topic. Thanks, Jeremy, and welcome to the podcast. I've been coming across some stuff lately. You know, I've been looking around for a, a new car. Well, not a new car, but a, a slightly used car of a particular kind. And something that I've noticed is that the used car prices have really spiked. And a lot of this is, you know, I think due to the global pandemic, we've seen a lot of things happening around the supply chain and especially this chip shortage that has really been uh, affecting new car production. And so that's led to like really new low stocks of new cars with the dealers. And I get that it's a struggle for them. You know, they're desperate for stock. You know, I've talked to a couple of them and what they're saying is, you know, they're having to pay a lot more to bring in used cars to get some stuff on their lots to turn over and make some money. And I get that that's a challenge for them, but you know, sometimes they're paying people as much as the cars cost new for these slightly used cars to get the inventory. And what I've noticed is generally the used prices seem to be about 30% higher than they should be right now. You know, if you go by like what the market was at and you know, blue book values and all these things. And many people are telling me, you know, that's just the market right now. There's a pandemic, everything's more expensive. And that's true, but I think there's a few things that really need to be considered. You know, at some point, this supply chain is just going to normalize. You know, dealers are going to get stock of new cars again when manufacturing ramps up. And used cars are going to start to drop down to book value again. And the dealers aren't going to pay a premium for used cars anymore. So anybody who's kind of bought in during the pandemic and paid this 30% premium you know, all of a sudden, I think you're going to start to see a much greater than normal depreciation um, over the next year or two until prices kind of equalize and get back to where they should be in, you know, two or three years. So anyone who buys in at these high prices, you're going to lose a lot more equity in your vehicle than normal. And, you know, if you've got a loan for that car, there's a pretty good chance you'll be underwater by that point and you're going to owe a lot more on the car than what it's actually worth if you try to sell it or trade it in again. So this is going to have a huge financial impact on people. It's going to cause problems going forward. It's going to lead to resentful customers who aren't going to want to go back to these dealers because they'll feel ripped off. And, you know, that's going to affect the dealers long term. So the dealers are going for some short term gain and it's going to cause some long term pain. So that's kind of my take on this. And, you know, the dealers don't really have an answer. You know, the dealers I've talked to have said, no, totally get where you're coming from. If you don't need a car, wait. Are the dealers preying on desperate people who need cars, or is what they're doing justified to carry on with their business? I, I think what it is, I think it's businesses justifying their existence, and instead of firing half their sales staff, cutting back their marketing, and absorbing the pain that comes with the pandemic, they're finding a creative way to stick it to their customers so they can have their cake and eat it too. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And, you know, in the U.S., you know, there's probably been less support from the government. But here in Canada, there's been a lot of support for people that are out of work and businesses yep. that are suffering. So like you said, maybe the dealers needed to scale back. But the, th you know, the thing is, in the research I've done when we talked about this topic, you know, we're located on the West Coast in Vancouver, Canada, but this is happening all over North America, like in many different states in the U.S., back east in Canada. 
the just the general consensus of most car guys is that everything has gotten stupidly expensive and there's real no just there's really no justification for it yeah i think you're right and um, i think it's particularly cute on the west coast you know i spent a little bit of time looking at like auto trader out east mm-hmm. and you know for the particular car i'm looking for the prices were lower back east so you know they're really kind of you know sticking it to the customer out west here do you remember like i'm, I'm gonna say pre-pandemic go back maybe five years before that and you'd go out to Odessa auctions and there was like hundreds of cars sitting on their lot, L- literally two or 3,000 cars in inventory that were excess inventory from dealerships that they couldn't sell at the lot, so they fired it off to the auction. And I mean, that's gonna happen again, mm-hmm. but this time that's gonna be thousands of broken hearts and spilt dreams and people that are just generally pissed off at how they got treated because people are going to lose their investment. They're going to be upside down on their on their investment, paying off a car that isn't worth what it they paid for it. And I think, ironically, the car dealers are going to pay that price then that they realistically should have just paid now and kept their integrity and kept their, their customers happy. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's... It's just going to be a bad situation in a couple of years, and there's going to be a lot of unhappy people out there. So, so, so what do you what do you think what do you think the solution is? You know, here's my advice: unless you're desperate for a car, you know, wait two years. Wait. You know, yeah. yeah, keep driving what you're driving, and if you really do need a car really badly, go out to the used market, buy from an individual rather than a dealer. There's still people, you know, asking reasonable prices for used cars. You know, fewer of them. A lot of people are asking you know, higher prices across the board. But definitely if you go private sale, you're more likely to get a better deal and be able to get something, you know, that's not going to put you underwater and hurt you in a couple of years. And so from my perspective, you know, looking at projects, looking at cars to, to buy, to build, I think I'm going to give people that same advice. Unless you find a really, really smoking deal on something really rare or something that you really want, just wait. You know, the, we're seeing multiple examples of cars that we'd like to build, and every couple months they pop up. Wait, you know, because what you're explaining in the dealer market, I've seen a lot of it in in looking at like project cars and, and things that are half finished, and you know, cars that are due for a refresh. And it is just what I think to be overly inflated pricing. I think it's people. They're trying to glom on to what the dealers are doing and thinking, well, hey, I can sell my stuff super expensive and, and maybe someone will buy it. So I think you're right. I think patience is is the tool to use in, at this time on this topic. Yeah. Moral of the story, hang on, you know, be patient and things should hopefully go back to normal in the next couple of years. Yes. So our second topic for this evening, um, we're going to talk about off-road racing, motorsports, Every year, we begin the season with the Dakar Rally, and it just so happens to be an off-road rally. And so we have Dakar, and then as Dakar ends, we have the beginning of the World Rally Championship season with Monte Carlo. And uh, by the time this podcast hits the air, we will have just finished the, here in North America, King of the Hammers week, which is an entire week of off-road racing in California. And so we wanted to take a moment and just talk about some of the notable things that that we saw happening with those three specific series. And so I think what we'll do is we'll start off with Dakar. You were very intrigued by Audi's 
uh, entry of the Dakar, uh, the e-tron yeah. rally raid car. Yeah, those were like really neat. Like, you know, I'm all for technology. You know, I think as much as I like internal combustion, you know, electric is probably the future. It's where we're all heading. And to see Audi, you know, bring it to the competition with an all-electric off-road race car that, you know, did fairly well was yep. really interesting to see. Yep. You know, they had some problems. It was a little, a fra- little fragile, but... Yeah. But they won a couple stages they and did. they finished, they did. which was pretty impressive. Yep, they did. Nasser Alatia, um, again proving that the guy knows how to drive. I mean, yeah. he had he had another great outing. Sebastian Loeb, uh, hot on his on his tracks. Like I think he finished thirty minutes behind uh, Alatia. Um, he he just looked incredible, and yeah, it was I thought uh, a very compelling Dakar. Um, so many different storylines. We had Alatia, we had Loeb, we had the Audis. We had a young American in the side-by-side UTV category who won nine of the ten stages, I believe. I think so. Set a record. Set a record. Um, and, and countless stories in the motorcycle class. Yeah, that, uh, you know, his name escapes me and I should know it, but the guy from MotoGP. Yes. And, yes. Know, he, he did quite well despite an injury. He did. No, he did. So it was it was a really, really entertaining rally. And then right hot on the heels of that, we started the World Rally Championship uh, season uh, in Monte Carlo, yeah. um, Monaco. And the, I think the, the giant storyline there was that this is an all-new WRC. This is now hybrid cars mm-hmm. in the top class. WRC 2 for the exist prior existing cars and WRC 3 for a more entry level and M Sport and Ford uh, mm. boy they did their homework they showed up and they they beat the hell out of everybody yeah. it was it was really impressive well yeah I think Sebastian Loeb again you know he was awesome at Dakar the guy's just talented you know he's raced at Le Mans you know he's second at Dakar Shows up, wins the Monte Carlo Rally. You know, yep. after being out of WRC for how long now? A couple of years. Uh, three years. I yeah. think it was. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's going to be a big story this year to see. You know, is he going to be the the king of WRC again and add to his tally of uh, championships? And so right now he's not scheduled to run a full season with True. M Sport. That could change. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, uh, the other M Sport drivers were were quite good. I think M Sport had. Th- two cars in the top three I believe I'd have to double check that very well prepared the cars look fast they they look incredible um, they sounded incredible and so hybrid now is in WRC I mean that how cool mm-hmm. is that so yeah again it's the march of technology you know we're going to be talking about that you know you got some thoughts on the king of the hammers and I some do. Of the advances in technology so I do so you know, roll, tell into, us what you think. roll into that yes yeah, so I, I, there's for guys who are serious off-road fans. There's a there's a handful of underlying storylines that carried over from last year that are going to come into this year. But I think the thing that happened so far this week that was absolutely ground shaking was the introduction of a spec EV category, and I I just think that that is incredible. I think that the that you as a racer are going to purchase a power system. You're going to put it in a chassis of your choice and you're going to go racing King of the Hammers in an electrified vehicle. No gas stops, plenty of torque, lots Mm -hmm. of power. 
I, I genuinely think that this is a, a massive step forward for the sport and I, I'm hoping people embrace it. I know there was a lot of um, negative comments on social media following the press conference and I'm hoping that that's just a, a vocal minority because I think in general, the fact that they're embracing this, I mean, let's be honest, you're going to bring more different types of sponsors to the sport. You're going to bring more money to the sport. You're going to attract different people who might not have thought about doing it. And ultimately, out on course, I can't wait to see the results. I can, I'm, I'm, after seeing how the Audis performed at the Dakar, I'm seriously interested to see how this um, impacts the sport of, of, of Ultra 4 racing. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as I said, electric's the future. You know, it's, I hope we still have internal combustion around for a while. You know, we still get to enjoy it um, in various forms of racing, but really this is where things are going. You know, motorsport's going to have to embrace it, um, especially if all the manufacturers want to produce mainstream electric cars. Mm -hmm. You know, the racetrack has always been where technology gets proven and then trickles down to the consumer. Well, and something else that was really impressive about this was the the people sitting on the stage. I mean, we had Fox Shocks there. Um, you know, they're developing a reactive dampening shock system that two drivers will have run in the 4400 class on the weekend. So, like you said, we're seeing technology that is getting tested in this environment, and that's going to eventually bleed down to amateur racers and to the streetcars that we drive, as it always has. That's uh, definitely a good move for them. And then I know you had a couple other thoughts on the, some suspension technology that's I, uh, I, changing I, the sport a little. I did, yeah. So last last season, there was a driver, Cameron Steele and Laser Nut. They brought a, a buggy that was IFS, IRS. And to put it in perspective, King of the Hammers has been about a cross between desert racing and rock crawling. And the top tier category has been a buggy that is high powered, solid axle, front and rear, hydraulic steering. And, yeah. and just to be things. clear, for people listening, that's independent front suspension and yes. independent rear suspension. Yes. Is what we're talking about. So. Yes. So there was one manufacturer a couple of years ago, they, they started to, to build independent front suspension into their buggies. and. Um, drivers began to see that that was advantageous in a couple different ways, um, most notably clearance, right? You've got a nice now, a nice tall section in the middle of the front of the car to, to go over rocks and so forth. And so last year, Cam Steel and Laser Nut, they showed up with a, with a buggy that was IFS, so independent front suspension and independent rear suspension, and he was leading the event. He got into the last set of obstacles, last trail before they would get back out in the desert and finish the race, and he broke. But he turned a lot of heads. People were really impressed. And in addition to that, we had two or three UTVs, Can-Am Maverick UTVs, which are also very similar in suspension design, and they finished uh, in the top 15. So coming this year, it was really an undertone like okay what what we're we gonna see how much more was this gonna influence the sport what and what all is gonna happen and so we have the laser nut team back again we have the Gomez brothers with a an IFS IRS buggy and in qualifying for the 4400 race the Can-Am UTVs were spectacular they're fast light nimble and it wasn't until power hour where the big the big super mega dollar teams came out to qualify uh, they knocked them out of the top five, but in the top ten, I think you had four 
or five Ken Ams in the top top ten, top twelve. Like it, so it, this influence and change in design is really rippling the waters, and so it's going to be really exciting. Like I say, when we by the time you hear this, that event will be over, and we you know we'll have a result, and we can look at it at that point. But uh, yeah, it was just a carryover of some impressive storylines from last season, and seeing how they're going to impact the event this this season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as I said, technology marches on, and it does. you know, I, I like to see motorsport adopting the cutting edge. It's what it should be. You know, we shouldn't be living in the past. I mean, that's what historic racing is for. You want to see the old stuff? Go see the historic racing, which you know we both love. Agreed. And and something unique to Ultra Four is that they have categories where the older machines those can filter down into those categories, and guys like you and I. We can we can race in a category like that with a vehicle that's a few years old. It's not really competitive and top tier, so we can go out and we can experience desert racing. But technology in that top class, it'll absorb that technology and drive the sport forward. So unlike other motorsports, sometimes where old technology becomes uh, obsolete and there's no value in the cars and they kind of just disappear till we see them in historic racing events with Ultra Four. You can get those old cars and you can put them in those other categories and it lets guys come in at, at, a, at an amateur level and, and get into off-road racing. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting. I think those three different events really started off the season well. And then mixed in there, we had Daytona and we had Barrett-Jackson. So on the next podcast, I will maybe look at the on-road stuff that, uh, got the, that the racing season has, has uh, started. Awesome. Well, that's great. So, uh, you know, we're going to end it here. You know, thanks for joining us and uh, tune in next time.